Hello, everyone. Welcome to our listeners in the Big Apple from across the U.S. and around the world. I'm Jeff Goodman, and this is Rediscovering New York. Professionally, I'm a real estate broker with Brown Harris Stevens, and I love New York. Rediscovering New York is a weekly program about the history, texture, and vibe of our amazing city. And we just don't listen to me. We do it through interviews with historians, local business owners, nonprofit organizations, preservationists, local musicians, and artists, and the occasional elected official. On some shows, like tonight's, we focus on an individual New York neighborhood. We explore its history and its current energy. What makes that particular New York neighborhood special? And sometimes we host shows about an interesting and vital color of the city and its history that's not focused on one particular neighborhood. On prior episodes, you've heard us cover topics as diverse and illuminating as American presidents who came from, lived in, or had some interesting history here in New York, about half of them, aside from the soon-to-be former president, Uh, the history of women activists and the women's suffrage movement in the city, the history of different immigrant communities, including people who were brought here enslaved. We talked about the history of the city's LGBT community and the gay rights movement. We've explored the history of bicycles and cycling. They've been part of New York for more than 200 years. We've looked at the history of punk and opera. Uh, We've looked at our public library systems. Systems, we have three. Only in New York would we have three public library systems. We've explored the subway, some of our greatest train stations, and even some of our bridges. After the broadcast, you can access each show. It's available on podcast. We're on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and some other services that get our feed, some of which I really don't know about. Tonight, we're journeying back to the Bronx in a very special neighborhood. It's also known as the Little Italy of the Bronx. And I am referring to Arthur Avenue and Little Italy. I'm sorry, Arthur Avenue and Belmont. Arthur Avenue is a street, but uh, a lot of people hear Arthur Avenue and they think of Arthur Avenue as a neighborhood because it really is a locus of a lot of urban energy in the neighborhood. My first guest is a Rediscovering New York regular. It's Justin Rivers of Untapped New York. Justin is the chief experience officer and lead tour guide for Untapped New York. He started his career as New York City middle school and English language arts teacher on the Lower East Side. He dragged his students to historic sites across the city in an effort to bring the city's lesser known stories to life. He became co-creator of The Wonder City. It's a graphic novel that reimagines New York City's entire history. He was also the playwright and producer of The Eternal Space, an off-Broadway play that centered on the demolition of New York City's Pennsylvania Station. It was with this production and one simple tweet that he fell head over heels for Untapped New York, whom he partnered with for his remnants of the Penn Station tour. And I look forward to going on that when this pandemic is uh, done. Along with his role as Chief Experience Officer, Justin is the founding director of the Character Connection Initiative. It's a nonprofit organization that connects character education and mindfulness to middle school curricula. He's also the creator and lead tour guide for some of Untapped New York's most popular tours, including the underground tour of the subway, the remnants of Dutch New Amsterdam, the secrets of the Brooklyn Bridge, the remnants of the World's Fair in Flushing Meadow, the secrets of Coney Island, maritime history of New York, the hidden gems of Rafael Guastavino tour and the art in the New York City subway walking tour. Justin, a very warm welcome back to Rediscovering New York. Hi, Jeff. Always thrilled to be here. Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year to you too. Happier and healthy for all of us. Yes, and for, all, for sure. And for all our listeners. Um, sure. You're originally from the New York area, but not from the city. No, no, no. I'm from Jersey. I grew up, uh, my family uh, was from Hackensack and then uh, I grew up until I was in high school in northern New Jersey, uh, in a town called Ringwood, and then went to Fordham University uh, in the Bronx, part of the reason why I'm here tonight, and uh, never came back. Uh, I've been in New York ever since. <clears throat> what was it about your career path that led you to decide that you would take up the torch, maybe pun intended, to illuminate uh, <laughs> New York and the best of it in the tours that you not only lead, but that you've also created and branded? Uh, it was, it all goes back to educating. Uh, I, I, I came out of Fordham as a teacher. I worked at a Catholic school in the Lower East Side and, uh, my kids, Lower East Side kids, mainly from the projects down there, hated history. They hated social studies. And I said, guys, we live in the most history dense neighborhood in New York. Let's get out and see this stuff. Uh, so I took them down to Bowling Green and let them literally touch history. And that was what, and, and I saw the conversion in the reaction and I said, Ooh, I like this. Uh, it just so happened adults like it even more, <laughs> and it's a lot more fun. Uh, so I ended up, uh, that's how my career started. 
And speaking of Fordham and Belmont and Arthur Avenue, let's go right to it. Yeah, um, let's do it. A lot of our listeners, uh, I'm sure, have heard of Arthur Avenue, and some of them have heard of Belmont. But I'm sure even some who have heard about the Little Italy of the Bronx really don't know where it is. Where is it actually in the Bronx? Well, I always I like to say Belmont is like the beating heart of the Bronx because it's right in the middle of the Bronx. Uh, it's surrounded by quite a few of the Bronx's most coveted attractions like the Botanical Gardens, uh, well, Fordham University for me, the Bronx Zoo. They all sort of orbit around Belmont, uh, right south of East uh, Fordham Road. Uh, you could take the Metro North right up there from Grand Central and be there in 19 minutes. So it's uh, it's directly in the middle of the Bronx um, and a really great place to go. And unlike most other places we've had you on the show to talk about, you have a lot of personal history in Belmont. I do. I've lived there. This is, you know, I, I've, I've lived in Windsor Terrace now in Brooklyn for almost 22 years, but this is the only other neighborhood we've spoken about that I've actually lived in. <laughs> so I'm really excited <laughs> about talking about it. What was your favorite part about living in Belmont? Uh, I grew up in New Jersey in a very, very uh, traditional Italian family, which I know from people who look at me, I have a very Anglo features uh, and uh, my last name is River. So everyone's like, what are you talking about? But I am mostly Italian. Uh, and when I went to Fordham, my mother was petrified to send me to the Bronx. And uh, when we got to Fordham and we got to Arthur Avenue for the first time, my mother felt good. She was like, ah, okay. Uh, because she felt like she was like almost leaving me with family. <laughs> so, um, and that's what it felt like for me. Uh, I was one of the few people on my campus I knew that went to Arthur Avenue Belmont daily. I, I did, I was like a little old Italian lady. I did my food shopping every day over there. Uh, I got my haircut on uh, at Anthony's, which was, you know, Sort of the, I think Anthony's, I hope is still open. I'm not sure, but. Um, Our second I, guest I is all, nodding yes. Who, so, uh, did, okay, <laughs> good. I'm so glad. I love Anthony. June, June used to cut my hair. I mean, th and this was it. I knew all of these people. I, you know, for four and a half years, they were part of my daily routine. Uh, and that's what I love. And, and they took me in. It was one of those things where it was like, it, within minutes, I felt at home. So that's what I loved so much about the neighborhood. And we're going to talk more about recent happenings in the neighborhood with our second guest a little bit later in the show. Um, let's go to the history of, of what would become Belmont. Um, the Lenape people lived uh, around New Amsterdam. Um, did did local Lenape live in the area that would become Belmont? Did they did they do things there or was it not just not not populated? Yeah, well, I mean, so the Lenape people were uh, nomadic. And so Manhattan was a seasonal trading ground for them. And they would go down to Manhattan because of the waterways in the spring and in the summer. And of course, in the fall and the winter, they'd go north. Uh, and one of the tribes that really called the Bronx and that section of the Bronx home was the Suinoy tribe. Uh, and they treated it more as a home base for them. But they, they didn't have an overwhelmingly large presence. And when the Dutch came in in the 1630s, the Dutch didn't have a lot of interest in the Bronx. They kept pretty much either up to the Albany area or down to Manhattan and New Amsterdam. Um, so the Bronx was sort of a piecemeal of different European immigrants who came in to settle, including the reason why we have the name the Bronx, uh, because uh, in 1640, I believe, uh, a Swede by the name of Jonas, Jonasson Bronk uh, bought 500 acres up there and started the first European settlement. And uh, there it is. <laughs> so. What records do we have? What What was the first um, settlement activity in, in what would become Belmont? Uh, so uh, were there farms or the, the farms and, and, and who was there? It was rich. It was actually a rich uh, soil and farmland. It was a beautiful bucolic area. And uh, there was a French Huguenot by the name of Pierre Lorillard who came over in the 1760s, right before the revolution and uh, started a tobacco shop, basically tobacco production and uh, snuff. He was the first guy in the new world, uh, North America, probably, uh, to introduce snuff, uh, which is, you know, inhalable tobacco for those of you who don't know. Um, and he was very successful at it. Problem was during the revolution, he was murdered by German Hessians. So his son, Pierre Peter Lorillard, decided he was going to get the family out of Manhattan and move them north. And they bought a large tract of land 
uh, up in the what we know today as the Belmont area. And they named that tract of land uh, Belmont, which uh, translates from the Latin beautiful mountain. Um, and uh, I know I think we're going to talk about this, but there's a lot of confusion because there is a famous uh, New York family known as the Belmonts, but it, it has nothing to do uh, with the neighborhood. And uh, Pierre's uh, son, Pierre II, continued the family business, started a tobacco farm in the area and was extremely successful. Is the is that because the, the climate of the soil was especially uh, good for tobacco? You kind of think of tobacco being in the South, in Virginia, North Carolina, uh, this is actually one of New York's, not even the Bronx, but New York's dirty secrets is our soil and our climate is actually pretty good for growing tobacco. The Dutch started small tobacco farms in Greenwich. Actually, Greenwich Village started out as a tobacco farm as well. Uh, so we we just have a more temperate climate when it's warmer here for tobacco. And the Laurelards were very successful at growing tobacco here. They did it for generations. It was not a failed prospect um, for almost 100 years they had a successful tobacco farm in the Belmont area, a lot of which was given to the botanical gardens. I've heard the phrase bandied about all of Belmont and a pack of Newmore and uh, a pack of Newports. Where does that come from? Uh, so uh, because when you buy a pack of Newports, you're actually buying a piece of Belmont, <laughs> which is, uh, which is, you know, I always loved, I had a bunch of, I did not smoke in college, but I did theater. So I had a bunch of friends who did. And uh, we would go uh, there. There was a gas station on East Fordham road, right at the, uh, the mouth of uh, Arthur Avenue where they'd go get their uh, cigarettes. And every time I had a friend who smoked Newports and I always said, you know, all of Belmont in a pack of Newports. And they just look at me like you're such a nerd. Uh, <laughs> but the uh, Lorillard family tobacco company continued in the area until I believe it was the 1870s. They moved their productions to New Jersey, but the company kept going until the 1960s and then became part of the Lowe's uh, Corporation. Uh, I believe it's called the Lowe's Corporation, which produces Newports. So Newports, if uh, for those of you who know cigarettes, are a direct... Uh, lineage back to Belmont and the Lorillard family. Mm. In fact, a, d- a direct descendant of Pierre Lorillard was the richest woman in the United States for a while. Uh, yes, uh, Catherine. So it was her, uh, his great granddaughter who, after he died, inherited the entire farm and estate, which was very, very large. Uh, and she started selling off tracts of land to develop what would become uh, the Belmont. Uh, neighborhood and also the Botanic Gardens and parts of Fordham as well. But she was the richest woman in America at the time she inherited that land around 1870. We're going to take a break in a minute. Um, uh, She was responsible actually for naming of a number of streets in the area, including the famous Arthur Avenue. Correct. Yes. She, uh, she was a big fan of president Chester A. Arthur. And so she wanted to give a little prestige to the new neighborhood by naming it after him. And the other uh, uh, streets also have ties as well to some famous people uh, in and, Belmont. And there's still some of the old Lorillard Mansion that survives in Belmont. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that uh, the Lorillard Mansion became St. Barnabas. Uh, and of course, they've added on to it quite a bit, but there are uh, remnants of the old mansion in St. Barnabas um, Hospital in Belmont. And you can see it today. Well, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our show on Belmont and Arthur Avenue, the Little Italy of the Bronx. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? 
Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military and politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. back and you're back to rediscovering new york and episode 97 can't believe this is episode 97 it's almost 100 episodes we'll have to have some kind of a centenary celebration for 100 in a couple of weeks this show is on belmont and arthur avenue in the bronx also affectionately well known as the little italy of the bronx my first guest is justin rivers justin is the chief tour guide and Lead, and sorry, lead tour guide and chief experience officer of Untap New York. Justin, I know these are tough times being in the business that you were. What kind of programming is Untap New York making available to people online these days? Uh, well, we have uh, begun once again to give uh, socially distanced uh, in-person tours, mainly outside. Uh, so we've tried to bring uh, back in person within reason and, and obviously completely safe. But mainly what we did uh, as COVID hit was we transferred most of our programming to virtual programming uh, through our insiders program. And so we offer two to three tours and talks a week through the insiders all about, you know, the secrets and hidden gems of New York. And the response has been great. We now have a global audience, which we did not before COVID. It was all New Yorkers. And now uh, we have people from Brazil, from London, from all over who are joining us uh, as part of the programs. It's been actually very gratifying and nice. Well, that's great. Well, I've been a proud insider of Untapped New York even before COVID. <laughs> and so you, I, you were one I of love, the originals. Jeff. <laughs> I, I love I love getting your email, and and I haven't been able to to take advantage of much of your programming, but it's there in my heart, and obviously I bring it to life with you on uh, when you, you when you Thank come you. on the show. Thank you. Um, getting back to to Belmont, when would the neighborhood that we see today begin to physically look like what we have today? When would it, when would it be familiar to people? So I think that the Bronx that uh, people know and love today, it started once the, the trains got up that way. You know, we have a large influx of immigration coming in from Europe. And at first, the area is kind of Irish because uh, Fordham was a big Catholic stronghold and it attracted a lot of, of the Irish uh, in the area. But then what happens in the early 20th century is the trains spurn on more urban development. And uh, then the Italians come in full force to New York and sort of move north up to to the Bronx and it becomes a real Italian stronghold 19 early 1900s 19 teens mm. you know one thing about people coming as immigrants from different cultures is that they derive a lot of their empowerment and sometimes their joy of living by being around people who are familiar to them hearing the languages right. and even people who were from that part that's uh, you know a, a particular village um, there were other Italian immigrant enclaves in the city before Belmont and Arthur Avenue became what we know as the Little Italy of the Bronx, including Little Italy in Lower Manhattan, which is where my ancestors are from, were where they settled. <clears throat> and also uh, East Harlem around Pleasant Avenue, which a lot of people mm-hmm. don't realize was another Little Italy. Actually, the, there were more Italian immigrants living in East Harlem than there were in Little Italy in Lower Manhattan. Why did Italian immigrants settle in Belmont? What was it that brought them up there? So uh, a lot of people don't recognize, you know, when you think of push carts and the push cart culture of the early 20th century, you think the Lower East Side, because the Lower East Side is so synonymous with uh, German and Jewish immigrants 
uh, on Orchard Street and, and doing all that. But uh, there was a huge push cart culture uh, in Belmont and on uh, in Little Italy up there. Well, what becomes Little Italy, uh, push carts were a very easy, cheap way to get into retail business um, for immigrants. They could easily get a cart. They could sell their wares. Uh, and once they're aligned in a neighborhood, they become a staple of that neighborhood on their street. Uh, and uh, that happened so quickly up in Belmont that uh, it's advertised, I believe it's early as 1913, they start calling the area the Italian colony. And of course, Italians coming over from Italy want to go, as you said, to where their people are, especially if they're from certain regions. Uh, and as a matter of fact, both sides of my family came from different parts of Italy, but the uh, the Sicilian side of my family uh, almost went to Belmont and Arthur Avenue, but my great grandfather had a brother who came over before him who actually found work in Jersey. And that's how we ended up in Jersey. I mean, that's how these stories, you know, that's how they unfold. So, uh, but, but Arthur Avenue and Belmont became a nexus in the 19 teens because of that push cart culture. And the predominance of push carts actually, uh, were there much later than in other parts of the city, you know, into the middle part of the 20th century. Yeah, Manhattan banned them pretty uh, because of the the street crowding in the uh, early 20th century. But in the Bronx, it went on until 19, almost 1940. It was and, still going on. And what was it that that changed the the pushcart culture? Well, the Italian himself, the little flower, uh, little, uh, <laughs> little, little uh, LaGuardia decided that he wanted to... Uh, sort of give the Italian immigrants and the Italian neighborhoods the opportunity to continue to make money, but he created the Arthur Avenue retail market, which for anybody who knows Arthur Avenue or who lives in the area, it's sort of, again, the beating heart of the beating heart. It's uh, one of my favorite places to, to, even to this day, I still go to Mike's and, uh, um, but he created it again as a way to push everybody inside, but to give them, you know, cheap stalls. They didn't, he didn't, you know, kill them on the rent. And, uh, it was able, they were able to continue the culture in the neighborhood. Well, speaking of culture, we had some popular culture in the, in the 1950s that either came out of, of Belmont and Arthur Avenue or actually depicted it. Dion and the Belmonts, the Belmonts, yes. right? That's, uh, so I must my, uh, be a teenager in love. I, you know, a lot yeah. of people may not have heard it. I remember that song. It was, I, I was born after it came out, but my parents listened to it. Yeah, no, uh, Dion and the Belmonts. Well, now you know why they're called the Belmonts, because that's where they uh, they came from. And, you know, these were not just regional hits. These were like global hits that Dion had. And it was sort of uh, a little piece of popular culture that came straight from Little Italy. And uh, Dion actually broke away from the Belmonts and he went on on his own, Dion DiMucci. And uh, then two of my favorite, you know, when I was a kid going to dances at school, they always used to play these throwback songs. And two of my favorites were always Run Around Sue and The Wanderer. They're just great, they're great <laughs> songs. And they were both his. Uh, so there's so much of that in Belmont as well. And then, of course, it spurns on to movies. And, you know, it's still being depicted today in popular culture. Well, I, I don't know that it's one of my favorite movies, but I think it's a really fine movie, Marty with Ernest Borgnine. And that and yep. that takes place that takes place right on Arthur Avenue. In fact, the butcher yep. shop where he works, um, I, 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 when I see it, I try to locate it and go, where is that? You know, <laughs> it might have been in a studio and not on location when they were in it. But, you know, the street scene clearly are, uh, are Arthur Avenue. Yeah. And of course, the uh, Bronx Tale, too. When I was at Fordham, that movie came out and that was huge. So I want to ask you about the Third Avenue L, because the Third Avenue L, which originally went up Third Avenue in Manhattan and then it crossed uh, the Harlem River into the Bronx uh, and it did go up to to Belmont. Uh, it was still around when I was growing up, except when I was growing up, it was known as the eight train, the number eight train. Mm-hmm. Um, why I've always wondered why they decided, you know, the third uh, Avenue L went by the wayside, I think in the fifties, but the, the third Avenue L in, in, in the Bronx was there until the seventies. Do we know why, do you know why they got rid of it and why they took it down? Uh, I mean, so the third Avenue was sort of an extension of what was going on in Manhattan. They got rid of that in the fifties mm-hmm. because of, uh, they wanted to clear up the avenues, but they weren't really concerned about clearing up the avenues in the Bronx until, urban density uh, and also blight and depression in the Bronx sort of made it necessary to, to get rid of it. They couldn't maintain it. Uh, and I think that one of the reasons why uh, they decided to, to get rid of it was to try to improve the system in the Bronx uh, 
you know, and of course we still have the four, like what, you know, the four is still elevated uh, up in the Bronx in that area, a little further up, but um, everything else moved underground with the IND systems. I mean, this next question might be more appropriate for a transportation episode, but I wonder what they thought could take the place of the third Avenue well, because it's significantly East of Jerome Avenue where the four train is. Yeah, no, it is. And it's one of those things where that area was very difficult even when I lived there, to get good subway service. You've got great Metro North connection right at the corner of East Fordham Road uh, and um, and Webster. But, there, you know, to get to the D, you got to walk all the way up to the Grand Concourse and then go even further <laughs> to get to the 4. Mm. And I remember when I used to need to get to the 4, I'd be like, oh, God, or I'd have to get on the uh, 24 and go all the way up. But, uh, oh, God, it was, you know, it, it is. So it it's, we feel the miss of that in Manhattan with the lack of a second Avenue line. And it went all the way up to the Bronx with the third mm. Avenue line. This part of the Bronx, like many parts of the city, sadly went into decline in the 1970s. When did Belmont begin to become revitalized? It well, must've been when you theory. lived there, when you went to Fordham and then you lived well, in the I, neighborhood. I have a theory. I, I actually, and again, your second guest can either, confirm or deny this theory. I think Belmont has actually maintained its character more so than any other uh, neighborhood, maybe save Riverdale um, in the Bronx, where, you know, it was one of those things in the early 90s when I was looking at colleges and, you know, at the Bronx, you know, we got to Belmont and Belmont just felt safe. Um, even as other neighborhoods still in the Bronx didn't, you know, I think every neighborhood in the Bronx had a rough time in the seventies and eighties, but, you know, we were still, I was still renting apartments from 95 year old women, you know, in Belmont who never left the Italian, uh, sort of framework and fabric of the neighborhood didn't change, which kept Belmont pretty much in a little bubble. I think that's, that's my, that is my theory. And of course, um, your second guest can can add to that because I had a, I had a limited time there, but um, you know I do think one of the things I noticed that changed from my time there to say, a, you know, ten years ago and even up to current times was, you know, Arthur Avenue during Christmas time. Say you, you saw all of the Westchester, all the Jersey plates coming in to get all their stuff for Christmas. And you know there'd be a long parade down Arthur Avenue and everybody's going to get their stuff. And then it was basically back to you know, the neighborhood and the people in the Bronx and the Fordham kids. I went up there to celebrate a 40th birthday of one of my friends at Roberto's uh, last year. Saturday night, it was jam-packed with, you know, Ubers and yellow cabs. And, uh, you know, Arthur Avenue and Little Italy in, in the Bronx sort of really steps into the scene uh, in the 21st century as a destination for New York. And that was that was different because, you know, in the 90s and early aughts, you told people you were going up to Little Italy and they said, well, no, Little Italy's, you know, Mott Street. It's like, no, 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 you're going to the Bronx. And now it's, you know, I, it's a, still a pretty good secret, but I don't know if it's the best kept secret anymore. There's been a lot more tourism. There's been, you know, a lot more uh, recognition. So, and that, of course, improves the neighborhood. Well, speaking of it being the most vital Little Italy in the city now, we have about a minute left, Justin. I want to ask you mm -hmm. about Ferragosto and the Feast of the Blessed Virgin. You want to talk yeah. about that for a minute? So uh, Ferragosto is interesting because it, it actually dates back to the Romans. And it's it was, uh, you know, Augustus Caesar created this feast day to celebrate his, I believe it was his defeat of Mark Antony. And um, it was sort of like almost like a mini Christmas because it was very, uh, you know, it was a celebration. Everybody took off, everybody feasted, everybody partied. Uh, and a lot of Italian Americans don't know anything about it in the rest of the country. But it's it's very much alive and well. And um, as I think I said to you in my email, uh, you know, when I was a, when I was going to Fordham, I, it's August 15th. That was a big day on Arthur Avenue. You partied and you, you, you did what you did. But it, as many Italian holidays or Roman holidays like Saturnalia, when the Catholic Church takes over, you've got to sort of replace it with a Catholic holiday. So it is uh, it is it celebrates the Assumption of the Virgin Mary. Same thing. It's actually, a big holiday. Th that's the origin of uh, Mardi Gras, too. Uh, uh, sure. The feast before uh, um before Lent, it actually was the Feast of the Lupercal in Roman times. Right. Justin, as <laughs> always, the time goes by so fast. And, I like it rapidly, Jeff. When, yeah. when did it become a half hour? <laughs> no, exactly. Well, you'll be back on the show again, I'm sure. Yeah, I'll be here.
Yeah. <laughs> My first guest on this episode on Belmont and North Avenue is Justin Rivers. Justin is the chief experience officer and lead tour guide at Untapped New York, which, by the way, is at www.untappedcities.com. Not on tap New York. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to speak with our second guest, whose family has a long history on Arthur Avenue, and who also is spearheading some local business efforts in the in Belmont. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Are you interested in having a better relationship with yourself, others, and God? Greetings. I'm your host, Dr. George Andow, for the show, A Journey Through into Awareness. On my show, we journey into the awareness that the mind of God is the true seat of our personal consciousness. We join together each Monday at 7 p.m., so tune in on Talk Radio NYC. You know you have it. The potential for a more rewarding life, a life that matters. But how do you get there? The answer is in a best-selling book by the coach of the successful and wealthy, Ken D. Foster. The Courage to Change Everything, Daily Strategies and Wisdom to Awaken Your Hidden Genius and Transform Your Life. With this powerful yet amazingly simple daily guide, your future is in your hands. You will be empowered to unlock your potential, bring out your true gifts, increase your wealth, and take your life and business to a new level. Get your life-transforming copy of Ken D. Foster's The Courage to Change Everything by going to couragetochange.us. That's couragetochange.us. Quite frankly, there's no other book like this. Imagine what your life could be like if you had at your fingertips the success principles to create the life you've always wanted. Are you ready to live your dream? Go to couragetochange.us. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. And you're back to Rediscovering New York. Support for the program comes from our sponsors, the Mark Myman team, mortgage strategist at Freedom Mortgage. For assistance in any kind of residential mortgage, Mark and his team can be reached at 646-330-4735. And support also comes from the law offices of Thomas Siaka, focusing on wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. Tom and his staff can be reached at 212-495-0317. Our show is about New York, its neighborhoods, its history, and the myriad textures of our amazing city. There's another great show on the air about New York and specifically about the business of real estate. Good Morning New York with Vince Rocco, my friend and colleague at Brown Harris. Vince's show airs live on Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. on voiceamerica.com and also on podcasts. You can like this show on Facebook, and you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My handle's there at Jeff Goodman NYC. If you have comments or questions, or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, Jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. One other note before we get to our second guest, even though Rediscovering New York is not a show about real estate, when I'm not on the air, I am indeed a real estate agent in our amazing city, where I help my clients buy, sell, lease, and rent property. If you or someone you care about is considering a move into, out of, or within New York, I would love to help you with all those real estate needs. You can reach me and my team at 646-306-4761. Our second guest tonight is Peter Madonia. Peter is the third generation family owner of Madonia Bakery on Arthur Avenue with his business partner, Charles Lima, which celebrated its 100th anniversary in 2018. That's right, everyone. The business is 103 years old. Peter is also the chairman of the Belmont Business Improvement District, which works to advance the economic well-being of local businesses in the community by promoting Little Italy in the Bronx brand, its strong ethnic heritage and leadership in the culinary marketplace. Peter has a legacy of public service. Most recently, he spent 12 years as the chief operating officer of the Rockefeller Foundation. 
He provided leadership and strategic direction for financial and operational functions, overseeing various areas, including human and financial resources, information technology, facilities and office services, records management and library services. He also managed the foundation's regional office operations in Kenya, Thailand, and the foundation's Bellagio Center in Bellagio, guess where, Italy. Prior to his work at the Rockefeller Foundation, Peter was chief of staff to Mayor Michael Bloomberg from 2002 to 2006. His previous service in New York City government included serving as the first deputy commissioner of the fire department, deputy commissioner for budget and operations at the Department of Buildings, and chief of staff to the deputy mayor for operations. He also served in City Hall during the Ed Koch administration. Peter received a bachelor's degree from Fordham, right in Belmont, where he has taught urban studies as an adjunct professor. He also has a master's degree in urban studies from the University of Chicago. Peter Madonia, a hearty welcome to Rediscovering New York. Thank you, Jeff. This is uh, great. What a what a nice opportunity. Thank you. Really appreciate it. And what a resume and what a history. My gosh, you've done, you know, you've taught, you've served government, you've served in nonprofits, and now, and now you're uh, running a family business. Um, the first question I usually ask my guests, if someone's from New York, I like to find out where people are from and, and if they come from other places, what brought them here. But with you owning a third generation business on Arthur Avenue, you got to be from the Bronx originally. Yeah, pretty, pretty simple. <laughs> I mean, born, <laughs> raised, lived. Um, yeah, it's all right there. <laughs> and did your grandfather start the business? My grandfather started the business, and I, uh, ironically enough, um, in the middle of the 1918 pandemic. Uh, so, like, you know, we're reliving his history without really knowing what his history was, because he certainly never talked about it. They just got up and went to work. Uh, but, but he, you know, started the business in 1918. Uh, we celebrated our 100th anniversary in 2018. Um, and there was a lot in between that for uh, all of us in the family. I, I really find it very uh, heartfelt to speak to people who work in family businesses. You know, it's it's, uh, it's really easy to just take something over. But when you make a decision that you're going to take it by the reins and continue with tradition, that that's really something special. But um, first, I want to talk to you a little bit about your career in public and not-for-profit service. What was your first full-time job? Was it in the family business or did you do something else? No, I ran like a thief, man. I, <laughs> I didn't, you know, I, I wanted to, like see the world. I wanted to, you know, sow my oats. So I didn't, um, that wasn't my, uh, uh, my game plan. Um, so I, I, you know, I went to school, I went to college, I went to graduate school. Um, I got a dream job in, um, at Koch's city hall as a 26 year old, I was working in at Koch's city hall, learning the business. I had a great mentor. I had great, um, great support there. Um, I went on to other things in Ed Koch's government and then, I mean, I wound up back in the family business. Uh, my brother, so my grandfather started the business. My father and my uncle ran it for, um, um, my grandfather retired in the 60s. My father and my uncle ran it from the 60s to the mid-80s. My brother was in the business, and he loved it. Uh, he was, unfortunately, uh, died in a car accident um, prematurely at 38 years old. So um, I was in City Hall at the time, and I had to make a sort of personal decision. It wasn't a business decision. It was personal. And I went, I took the business back at the time. Um, and, and that's how I wound up back in, in the family business, um, which I, you know, I, I, there are lots of things to regret about that, how that happened, but I don't regret um, having had to do that because of all the jobs I've had, it was the toughest one to um, take on. And for a lot of reasons, um, but you didn't leave. You you didn't leave public service at that point. You came. Oh, back I did. To it. Yes, I did. I actually okay. went, I went in to see Ed Koch and said, "I'm leaving government." And he looked at me like I was crazy. He said, "Why? What?" And I said, "I I can't explain this to you. This is personal." And I went back. Um, I had a lot of help. My father was still alive. My sister helped me. A lot of people helped me. Um, but I had to learn the business. I really, you know, I I we all went to work there as kids because. You didn't have a choice, right? You went there, you scraped pans, clean the floors, whatever. You did whatever you had to do. But um, it wasn't my pathway. Um, I went back and learned as much as I could about the business. Um, but I realized some part of the way through that I, I needed help and I wanted um, – I, I understood the business part of it. Um, I didn't grow up learning to be a baker, um, so I needed help in there. And I, that's how I got – that's when I went and found help and I got a partner and – that has turned out to be the best decision, best personal and um, business decision I've made in my life. 
mm-hmm. career decision. He helped um, really helped me um, take that business from one place to another in the last 25 years. You've had some positions in city government after the Koch administration. Did you go back at some point from the business or did you manage to do both? Of those so things? when I had, so I was working in the bakery and I, once I took a partner, uh, when Mike Bloomberg decided to run for mayor, um, I didn't know him. Somebody introduced me to him. I liked him. I thought he'd make a good mayor. Uh, and I went back to my partner and said, you know, I want to go try and help this guy get elected. I think he could be a good mayor. Uh, um, I wasn't crazy about the other candidate at the time. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. Mike, Mike won. Nobody expected him to win. He wins. And then he looked around and said, who knows something about government? I did. And he said, will you be my chief of staff? Sort of hard for me to, you know, that was sort of the pathway of my life that I, if I could have written it, I would have written it. I got to actually do it. And that was fabulous. He was a fantastic mayor and a great guy to work for. Mm-hmm. What had you leave City Hall to go to the Rockefeller Foundation? Um, By the way, I want to tell our, our listeners, if they don't know, the Rockefeller Foundation is one of the largest foundations in the United States. It's one of the oldest. It's been around, I think, since 1913. It actually yeah. predates the Madonia Bakery by yes, six years. <laughs> but not Title yeah. Brothers. But not Title Brothers on Arthur Avenue. Title okay. Brothers started on 1913. Uh, um, um, I always had wanderlust. And so the notion of being able to, like... It was a $200 million um, business to run with a $4 billion endowment and it was global. And so the notion, like I just, the notion of being able to play globally, I said, this is the right, I I need to do this. Um, And it was absolutely spectacular. You know, we had a board made up of some of the most, you know, um, the best leaders in this country, you know, Dick Parsons and, and Jack Rowe and, Strive Basio from Africa. These are these are people who ran major corporations. Were was were the board. Um, Sandra Day O'Connor. I got to like really learn from some of the best people in the world, and it was it, you know it was a fabulous experience for me. Mm. And you know, then you came full circle. That you you went to work for city government. You uh, answered the call to come back to the family business when your when your when your brother died. Um, you went back into city government. You went into uh, public service uh, as the chief operating officer of the Rockefeller Foundation, and then you went back to the vet, to the family business. What was it that had you say, "Okay, I'm I'm coming home. This is this is what I'm going to be doing." Now. But you just you just characterized it. That that was coming home, right? It was. I wanted to be there, and I wanted to acknowledge and celebrate a hundred years. It's you know, Dick Parsons who ran Time Warner. Uh, who was the chair of the board at Rockefeller, I went to tell him, I was like, Dick, I'm going to leave. And he looked at me and said, what? And I said, Dick, my family's business is turning 100 years old. And he looked at me and said, that's a big deal. He said, I get it. Um, It's not more complicated than that. It was personal. That's such a great story. Um, it must have been a really big change going from managing one of the largest foundations back to back to managing a family baking business on Arthur Avenue. But but yeah. but but home you came. Um, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Peter Madonia, who is not only a partner in a hundred year old business, the Madonia Brothers bake, Bakery. Did I get that right? Did I say it right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But he's also the chairman of the Belmont Business Improvement District, which we're also going to ask him about um, when we come back after a short break. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Are you 
a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. to Rediscovering New York and our episode on Belmont and Arthur Avenue in the Bronx. Bronx's own little Italy, and I dare say the most vibrant little Italy that New York City has right now. Our second guest is Peter Madonia. Peter is partner in Madonia Brothers Bakery right on Arthur Avenue and also the chairman of the Belmont Business Improvement District. Peter, how did you get involved with the Business Improvement District? And I almost want to ask you how you got um, uh, uh, enrolled, or as I take on leadership positions sometimes, roped into being the chair of the, but, you know, it's no, given, given, your, given your history, you know, it's no surprise that, that, that you would be asked to, to chair the bid. Um, so, I mean, it started with, I mean, when I was in City Hall in 2002 to six, um, I partnered with um, Frank Franz, who was a community leader in, in the neighborhood. And, and we figured out that the next iteration of what we have to do is start a bid there. And so we did that together while I was in City Hall. But I had a lot of ability to get that done from a process point of view um, and the politics. Um, and then, um, you know, over the last, you know, once I came back, it was a, you know, it was a pretty natural um iteration for me to do this. Um, I, there's things like there's value I can add in terms of my understanding how the government works, how the city works. Um, and it just seemed the right time. Um, I, you know, the business, uh, my nephew's in the business, my partner's son is in the business. So I have a lot of freedom in terms of the ability to do other things besides worry about the bakery. Although I, you know, I still walk in there every day and look at everything and say, why is this? And why is that? That's just, it, that's just DNA. And it, it, yeah. You can't, you either get that or you don't, it's, it's DNA. Mm. Uh, but, but it, it allowed me to, to spend time thinking about what does sustainability look like for little Italy in the Bronx? Um, you know, I watched little Italy in Manhattan and it was about real estate prices um, dissipate, right. And disappear. And that's unfortunate. And, um, I mean, Little Italy almost, now is uh, Mulberry Street. I mean, there are some there are some longtime businesses that are great, like DePaolo's and some of the restaurants. But but basically, you know, when my uh, it it's changed as a residential neighborhood completely. Yes, and 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 uh, you know, I have great respect for them and what they've maintained. Um, but you know, we're, we're more than just restaurants, right? We have this um, synergy of retail and restaurants that I think feed off each other. And then we have, and I, I love Justin's uh, conversation. I look, actually learned a lot about a place I should know more about. He knows a lot more than I do. It was really fascinating and um, uh, great to hear. But we have this bigger ecosystem, right? We have the Bronx Zoo, the Botanical Gardens, Fordham University, the St. Barnabas, um, right? Like this is like a little bit of a gem there. And we're right in the center of that. Um, so um, we have a we have the potential for long-term sustainability because those places, those institutions have constantly new feeder um, populations that then find us either for the retail or the restaurants. And then we feed off each other. It's a, it's a great synergy. And I think it's what has allowed us to survive as a neighborhood, even when, when the local population shifted dramatically from almost hundred percent Italian. When I was a kid, you didn't have to speak English there. 
um, to very different population. But the but the the central business district has really flourished and and actually is growing. We opened in the middle of the pandemic. We opened four new businesses in the last um, three months. People are people are seeing this as a place. It, we are a regional destination now, and I think Justin sort of hit on this. You know, we draw from New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Long Island, Rockland, Westchester. Um, so we have a regional des- we're a regional destination either for dining or for retail or for some combination of the two. And so I think that's what's allowed us to um, flourish. And, I, and part of what I tried to do, what I'm trying to do with the bid is how do we maintain sustainability? Some of that will be about our people's nephews and sons and daughters coming into businesses um, because that's what, that's what we are, right? We are authentic because I'm a third generation and we're going to have a fourth one now. Um, the Biancardis have a third generation. You know, I can go up and down the block, you know, Casenza, the Rondazzo's, Tidal. Um, these are 190, 80, 70-year-old businesses that are sustained by family. It's, it is incredibly unique as a conglomerate. It is, you know, and, and I'm a big fan. Uh, uh, Justin talked about the train and being able to get to Fordham in 18 minutes. Well, I can get there in nine. I live on 100, uh, off 125th Street. And uh, Antonio's is a favorite haunt of mine. Uh, and I'll even say that uh, when I had my mother's 80th birthday party here, uh, I catered it. And uh, I had Joe sing her happy birthday over the phone. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> because we couldn't be at the restaurant, you know. That's pretty special, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not that Joe's afraid to sing, by the way. But <laughs> no, he's not. No, no, no. <laughs> You know, but Justin actually touched on something, and um, and this is where, this is where the role of the bid becomes important. You know, we're a transportation desert. The the D train is a you're not carrying a you know gallon of olive oil, you know a, a bag of meat, a bag of bread, and a bag of pasta up to the D train or the number two train on White Plains Road. That's not you're not walking there. Um, so we we actually need vehicular traffic. We need ingress and egress we need like and this is you know this there's a we're a little bit in a rub with the city now who like would love to just put bike lanes everywhere and that works in a lot of neighborhoods but one size doesn't fit all and this has been a little bit of a um a push and shove with us with the city on we need parking we need ingress and egress we need vehicular traffic we need cars sorry i I know everybody doesn't like cars anymore but but we, we 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 can't exist without them. We are a transportation desert. They took the third Avenue L down in the 1970s for whatever reason. <laughs> there's no, there's no way to get here without um, a car. And so that, you know, and, and we're a regional destination. And by the way, I think in the current context, having lost 60 million tourists from around the world, the regional tourism is going to become very important in the city in the next two to three years. Mm. How has how do you think the um, a lot of the local businesses have been impacted during the pandemic? I mean, aside from the first couple of months, um, has your business been been impacted now compared to a year ago? Um, um, the first two, I, your your analysis is perfect. I mean, the first couple of months were like everybody was trying to figure out everything. Um, what shifted was um, not so much the volume as the distribution of the volume. Like we've just traditionally been. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, busy days of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you know, each day gets a little busier. It's distributed much more evenly over the week now because people are home. Um, but but the, on the retail side, I think people have held their own. I, we certainly have. And I, if, if we have, we're a good barometer for the retail businesses. The restaurants are getting crushed because, yeah. uh, and, and, I mean, I'm going to go, I'm going to say what I want to say here. Um, I think the governor has made a bad, bad decision about restaurant dining in New York City without the science and data to support it. Um, and I, I said it publicly um, in other places, so I'll say it here. Um, restaurants have done a really good job. They, From day one, the minute they were able to open, they did everything they were supposed to do. Um, and none, none of them want anybody to get sick, including themselves or their workers. Um, it, they, the fact that they cannot have dining in New York City, but you can everywhere else in the state, is crushing the restaurants. And it's just patently unfair because the data doesn't support it. Mm. Well, that's my reality. political speech for the night. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's the reality of the world that we're living in at the moment. Um, you know, I did want to ask you a question about um, before the pandemic. Um, has the bulk of the kind of customers you have in Madonia Brothers changed changed a lot? There must have been a time when most of your business was right from Arthur Avenue, right from the surrounding blocks. Uh, I mean, when I was a kid or growing up, I mean, everybody was came out in the day, shopped for the day, went home, cooked, came out the next day, shopped again for the day. That's, I mean, that's more like almost a hundred percent, you know, like we, we are a regional destination. People come from all over. We have a regular clientele that is historical, generational, right? Uh, like these are people that their parents or grandparents shop there and they shop there now. But again, because we have this larger ecosystem with the zoo and the garden and a constant new feeder population, our clientele is quite different. And, and you know, as a business at the bakery, we've evolved, right? We make, we make all the bread my grandfather made, but we also make like cranberry walnut bread. We make a jalapeno bread. We make breads that are, you know, to our client, to a new clientele, to a new taste bud. And, And that's a good thing. And can people order them online if they uh, don't want to go to the... We have not done... Uh, you know, shipping bread is, a, is is not as simple. I, I've thought about it and I've researched it. It's not as simple as it is, as, as other things, because you got to... It's overnight. If it's not overnight, it's not going to be the same product and, and you don't want to yeah. compromise your product. We have... We, we stand behind our product. So complicated. Hmm. All right. Well, Peter, just like with Justin's segment, we're out of time. Time just goes by really fast, even when you have 25 minutes to speak to a guest. Our second guest on this episode about Belmont and Arthur Avenue, also known as the Little Italy of the Bronx, has been Peter Madonia. He's the third generation family owner of the Madonia Brothers Baker on Arthur Avenue. And he's also the chairman of the Belmont Business Improvement District. Peter, thanks for being on the program. Thank you. If you have comments or questions about the show, if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. You can like us on Facebook and follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My handles there are jeffgoodmannyc. Once again, I'd like to thank our sponsors, the Mark Myman team, Mortgage Strategist at Freedom Mortgage, and the Law Offices of Tom Siaka, focusing on wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. One more thing before we sign off. I'm Jeff Goodman, a real estate agent at Brown Harris Stevens in New York City. And whether you're selling, buying, leasing, or renting, my team and I provide the best service and expertise in New York City real estate. To help you with your real estate needs, you can reach us at 646-306-4761. Our producer is Ralph Storier. Our engineer is the great Sam Leibowitz. Our special consultant is David Griffin of Landmark Branding. He'll be on the show next week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Broadcasting 24 hours a day. Hi, I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military and politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So, that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. you listeners looking to boost your business why not advertise on talk radio nyc with very reasonable rates interested simply send us a message on our website talkradio.nyc are you a small business trying to navigate the covid19 related employment laws 
Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 